You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. In this Hands Audio podcast, we're listening to George Snayman speak at the Vancouver Mission Fest in 2013. Thank you so much for coming here this afternoon and for spending a bit of time with me. And, and we're going to speak about the, the heart of our Father. I'm going to, to do my very, very, very best to try and share to you the heart of our Father. And I'm going to obviously use orphans and to try and display that to you. So if you can, if you can hang in there with me and, and let's walk through that and pray for me when I start stuttering and stumbling and looking for English words, which is not my first language. Let me just, just take two minutes to just give you a, a brief background of who we are and who I am. Um, I'm part of a, a ministry called Hands at Work in Africa. And we work in eight countries at the moment. There are the countries in the West Africa, is Nigeria, and then the Democratic Republic of the Congo, it's that huge orange one, and then Zambia, which looks like the fetus in the womb, and next to it is Malawi, underneath it is, is Zimbabwe and Mozambique, that small landlocked part there at the bottom is Swaziland, and the big orange one is South Africa. And that's where we're working at the moment. We also work in those places in 63 communities. Those communities are either slums, like in Lagos. We work in communities like Ilija, that's on the water. Um, the people there are so poor that they don't have land. They were forced out onto the water. If you fall in that water, you will certainly not survive. And that's either in those slums that we work, or like in Malawi, we work in the mountain areas that are very, very isolated and far away from any support that they have. We work through local churches. We believe in the body of Christ, okay? We believe that the body of Christ has been anointed to do the work. So we work through the local churches and we get into communities that are dysfunctional completely. What we mean by that is we go to communities where children are off the ladder. Totally. They've got no choice. They can't choose if they want to be safe tonight. They can't choose if they're going to have food. And they can't choose if they want to go to school. It's totally out of their menu. And so hands at work is saying, and I hope I will reflect the Father's heart as we're going to talk, but we're saying if we can just build a little box for the most vulnerable children, but we've got to be very specific to find them, if we can build a little box that we can get the children to get onto and they can reach as high as they can, they might just touch the first step of the ladder. Okay? All of us in this room are on a ladder. We can make choices. You can choose where you want to work. You can choose how much education you want. Those kids have got no choices whatsoever. And we want to build a box to help them to get on the ladder. We partner, how we do that, we partner with churches outside Africa. So we partner with churches from the UK, we partner with churches from Canada, and the US, and Australia. And we invite these churches to join us in this venture 
for finding children with no hope whatsoever dig deep to get there and when we find them we say we want to have beautiful feet that know the children by name okay for us that's mission work mission work is to have beautiful feet and today even this morning as I had my quiet time I prayed I prayed God may every child that we are connected with today may they hear their name echo in the air may they hear somebody saying their name because you know most of them will never hear their own name be spoken never and so we as a, as a group of Christians worldwide we drew a line in the sand and we say it's totally unacceptable for us who we worship that doesn't fit and so we're going to spend everything we have to change that so who's the we the guys that, that, that run the mill day to day all of us are volunteers and we come from many different countries there are short-term volunteers and long-term volunteers but we challenge people and say to them we're not going to spend a cent on salaries and things we say let's go and live together in communities so we've got our own communities we created our own villages and we are many different cultures coming together and living there Canada is providing us with amazing volunteers we get many many volunteers from Canada and we've got two intakes a year where people come to us and they'll go for orientation and they'll jump in a bus with us and they'll run with us if you want to know more we've got a booth down there and I've got Brian Daly here actually Brian and Lisa his wife are um, we're a registered charity in Canada and they are running the charity in Canada so you're very welcome to speak to Brian afterwards there are actually a couple of volunteers George and March here are on their way to the airport right now after this to, to go to Africa they'll be back home before me and so you're welcome to speak to them also if you've got any questions I met Bismarck in a slum in Zimbabwe on the border of Mozambique in a time where a dictator ruined the nation and bulldozed the poorest people's houses or shacks into the ground to try and deny that they exist I went into one of those very slums and I met Bismarck 14 years old and I went into his shack one bed in a shack and me and Bismarck sat on that bed his dad was lying behind us busy dying I never thought he was going to see the end of that weekend he was on his deathbed in front of us on the floor sat Prince Bismarck's six-year-old brother coughing constantly because he had TB and he was HIV positive Bismarck's mother ran away two years earlier she just couldn't face it anymore and one morning when Bismarck woke up she was gone and I sat with Bismarck on that bed and he shared with me how he had to leave school because firstly he couldn't afford fifty dollars a year to pay for his exam fees 
But secondly, he was the breadwinner. He was the head of the house. His dad was lying behind him dying and his brother was desperately sick. I don't know how to paint a picture to you how it looks in Sakubwa. But let me say to you, if you walk out of Bismarck's shack, if you put your foot outside the front door, you put your foot into raw sewage. It's mud and sewage. It's a, it's a swamp where 10, 15,000 people were dumped with no hope, totally rejected that they even existed. And within that slum, I sat in the most vulnerable boy's house. And he said to me, I said, it's your biggest challenge that you can't go to school anymore. And Bismarck said, no, they haven't paid rent. I mean paying rent on that corrugated shack hellhole that's most probably in the mid 40 degrees of Celsius on a normal day. And he was waiting for the people to come and throw them out any moment. And I said, Bismarck, what happened when they throw you out? He said, they will come in there, they will take all the belongings, and they'll throw it in the mud, that sewage water, and they'll put a chain around the gate, the door, and they will leave. And as an adult, I was sitting there, listening to his father, busy dying, his brother that's desperately sick, and this boy of 14, waiting for these people to come, and to throw them out of that house. And I was trying to understand it in my own mind. I was trying to contextualize it. I was trying to say, is it possible? I mean, I could not cope with that pressure as an adult. How in God's name can that be true in 2011? That's when I saw it. How is it possible? As I sat there wrestling with my thoughts, trying to understand, Bismarck jumped off his bed. When we said the bed was on, on, on bricks, and so our feet were hanging in there. And Bismarck jumped off and he ran towards the door. And there was a woman in her mid, early mid-twenties. And Bismarck ran and he flung himself into her arms. And he looked at me and he said to me, this is my mother. I thought, good Lord, his mother came back. I'm so happy, you know. That's a good part of the story. But I quickly learned that it wasn't his mother. It was Jane, just a local Christian, single lady, 22 years old, already looking after three of her sister's orphans. Jane will get up every morning half past four. And then she will walk eight kilometers in the dark, leaving the children behind, trying to buy vegetables from a farmer, then go back to that slum, try to sell it there to survive. And I said, Jane, why, why do you come to Bismarck and Prince? I mean, I can't see how you can survive. She say if she has a good day, she makes two dollars a day. And yeah, I catch her, I catch her in Bismarck's house, shack, 
And I thought, why is this woman coming here? She's, she's got something that's so overwhelming there already. And Bismarck turned around and he said to me, this woman is my mother. I say, why Bismarck? He says she comes every day. She encouraged me. She prayed for me. And she brings food to us. You know, after I spent a bit of time with Jane, hearing her story, she said, would you like to see more about Sakuba, the, the slum? I said, yes, take me out. It was a Saturday morning, and we walk in Sakuba. I was walking like this, just trying to kind of stay out of the worst. We got to another shack. As we walked in, there sat a girl about 17, one of the most beautiful young ladies I've set my eyes on. I, the moment I saw her, the first thought in my head was, Oh man, you are vulnerable. In a slum like this. But we sat down, same story. Her mom was busy dying. Here was this guy, of si a lady of 16 or 17, and she had a sister of about six. And by now, I, I just wanted to know the truth. I was in such a crisis. I mean, everything I believed, everything I studied in theology, everything my church ever taught me, suddenly seemed very shaky to me. Suddenly I said, God, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. I'm not going to play religion. I've got many other things I can do. I want to know the truth. And I started speaking to them. I said to that girl, I said, how do you guys eat? I mean, how do you survive in a place like that? She looked down, she said to me, oh, people give us food. I said to her, nonsense, I don't believe it. Not in a place like this. There are nobody that's got food left. How do you survive? I want you to tell me the truth. I'm preparing my heart. I want this girl to tell me if she puts her body in the line. I want to understand it. I do not want to live outside that slum in a church where I put my head in a hole and make as if Jesus is happy and dancing every morning. I don't want to be part of that. I want to know the truth about my father. And to know the truth about my father, I want to know what's happening in his household. And I said to that girl, you got to tell me, how do you get food? You say somebody give you food. Who? And she looked past me to Jane. Well, by then I burst out in tears. I don't know if I just wept because of the pain I saw. I don't know if I wept because I couldn't believe it. I don't know if I wept for myself because suddenly George was exposed. I was naked. My whole faith was naked. I was shaken. You could see right through me. Everything I ever held true to in a sense of thinking, yeah, I know God. I understand. Everything was shaken. And I looked at Jane and I said, Jane, is this true? Is this true that you come here also? And you bring food here? And she said, God is good. You know, I wanted to shout to her, don't tell me God is good. Women, you've got three orphans. You're a girl alone, 22. You get $2 a day. 
How do you do that? Don't you realize that you throw my whole faith in a crisis here? You see, I want to ask you this afternoon, I want to ask you, what love is that that Jane displayed to us that day? And what does it mean to be a follower, a true follower of Christ? Not a Canadian who happened to be a Christian. A Christian who just happened to be born in Canada, but quite frankly couldn't be bothered. Massively, massively different people. Completely different foundations. Completely different foundation. Whole worldview different. When we read that the UN say 26,000 children die every day of hunger, I know you get bombarded with statistics until it comes out of your ears to the place where even as I say that you can eat a, you can eat a chocolate and you won't even feel anything. And it's not you, it's, it's just the culture around you. you I have sat um, watching how they will show children on TV in North America literally dying of hunger and they will, 10 seconds later they will show a special to Hawaii. And I'm saying, I mean, how, how does that happen? You see, earlier this year, in the Congo, we lost a child that died of hunger. We were all together, the Hans family, on a farm in Zambia, when we heard one of our children died of hunger. You see, we, we knew that child by name. I held that child in my arms. I watched the child play in the dust. Suddenly, that child wasn't part of 26,000 children dying every day anymore. It was so personal to me. The rebels cut us off from the village and we couldn't get the food to the village. And suddenly, I stopped and I realized what does it mean? I mean, do we believe God's word? And do we really, really think about it? If he say, he knows us by name, does he know every child by name? I mean, have, do you know a father that can lose a child today and still live? You know, where I work, I've seen many people bearing their children, many. I was once with one of my best, best friends. She was much older than me. I buried six of her daughters in five months. I cannot explain to you when I stand at the open grave with parents burying their children. It's unnatural. It's wrong. But suddenly, the penny dropped for me. And I thought, but if he is our father, we call him father, don't we? I mean, if he's our father, 
How does he cope with 26,000 children that belongs to him that's got his name? He, he knitted them together in, his, in their mother's wombs. He dreamed for them. He loved them. He watched them die. You know how people die of hunger? Their body eats up their body. To take that little body and to wrap it in a blanket and to throw it down a hole. Twenty-six thousand children. This is the world that we live in. What does it mean to our Father? He knew them by name, every one of them. There are thousands of ways, thousands of ways to magnify Christ in life and in death. None should be scorned. All are important. But none makes the worth of Christ shine more brightly than sacrificial love to other people in the name of Jesus. Nothing, nothing in this universe can display our Father to a world. Nothing. Like when people are sacrificially displaying love. Consider the love that our God has. Let's just try and catch a glimpse. I just want to, to give you a glimpse of that. He held the stars. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is our Savior, right? <laughs> I love it. He held the stars in His hands. Do you believe that? Or do you think it is a poem? He knew every star. I mean, I struggle to remember ten people's name. He knew every star. He went like this. He knew where everyone was. Everyone. That's the power. That's the incredible, almighty God that we serve. That's where he was. I want you to contextualize this and remember Jane. Remember Jane the whole time in your story. Now that same God that went like this. He looked down at you and me. And he had compassion. He looked at you and he had compassion. Like when I looked at Bismarck. I had compassion. And he left that position. That position where he took the stars. Guys, he went into a, a, a young Jewish woman's womb. He had to go through her birth channel. He was born in a feeding trough. He had to drink from a woman's breast to stay alive. The same one that went like this. Became so dependent that he was depending on a woman's breast to keep him alive. There was no plan B. He had to learn how to tie his shoes. He had to learn how to walk. The same one that went like this. 
come on man I mean what's so tough about understanding this that is your father that's your God why did the Father, Son and Holy Spirit perfect community perfect this is huge perfect community they look because they love they saw they had compassion and they said we've got to do something we've got to and they ripped the community open painful painful and they said to the son go will we ever understand the pain that that community went through you know why they did that because they wanted to open their community to invite you and me in now I can't talk for you but man I'm a bad investment I cannot comprehend that even a nice family in Vancouver will open a house for me here is the almighty God that ripped his community open made a, made a way something had to be ripped open somebody had to go somebody had to sacrifice so that you and I could be adopted into that community come on that's the father you serve that's a God you and I serve so if we look at that and we see Jesus he represents three things I want to just briefly touch on to show the heart generosity adoption and compassion generosity has been abused so badly by us in the church you know I'm so embarrassed about it as a believer I want you to know I love the body of Christ I love it because it's a bride of Jesus it's his fiance we better keep our hands off her be careful not to mess with his fiance even though she drives us crazy isn't it but we must love her with faith like Jesus loves her but you know we've abused generosity we turned it in a self enrichment scheme in the churches we abuse people from the front and giving and giving and giving what was that giving all about that was one of the most beautiful diamonds in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8 9 say, For he, I've just explained it to you, he became, he was rich, became poor, so that you could become rich. That's generosity. Paul speaks about God as a cheerful giver. That word actually means an outrageous giver. God loves it when we are outrageous in our giving. Because why? We are just like His Son. Then He say, it was worth it for me to rip my community open. Look at that. Look at that. They, they get it. They are becoming like Him. They catch His image. His DNA is rubbing off on them. Outrageous giving. Not self-enrichment. So generosity is something that God gave us. That's part of His gospel. He displayed it to us. When last did you and I consider these words? Okay, I want you to 
you know, my spiritual father prayed over me before I came here, and he just said to me, George, I pray that God will open your spiritual ears. <laughs> and I thought, she, you know. You know, my prayer for you is that God will open your spiritual ears also. Just like I need mine to be open. Maybe I've been a Christian for too long. But when last you hear these words, God loved you so much that He gave His only Son. His only Son. I've got one Son. I'll die for you, but I promise you I'm not giving you my Son. I'm not giving you my Son. Guys, He gave you. He gave you everything He had. He laid it on the table. He gave back nothing. Will we ever understand the pain when He turned His back on His Son and all hell fell upon His Son and He became the curse, the curse, the sin, the things that's unthinkable. He can't even think about it. He can't talk about it. And He took His Son and He threw Him into that. His only Son. When last did you ponder and contemplate about He took His only Son? When you struggle to give and to love. You know what our problem is today with that? Is that we are middle class grace receivers. Middle class grace. Secretly we believe. God should actually save us. We're not that bad. Secretly we believe. We've never done terrible things. We kind of, it's to be expected that we should be saved. And as long as we are deceived under that lie, we'll never have a heart for anybody else. Because we don't appreciate and understand the price that is paid for us. But if we catch that, if we catch that, you don't have to work ever again to try and be a blessing. You don't have to. It's a revelation, and the way we live is proving if we understand it or not. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 we read, He has bought us with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Your body belongs to Him. I want to say this to you and to me. Okay. If you and I have money, power and status today, it's only because of the century and the place where you were born. And that gave you certain skills, certain gifts, and said, you had nothing to do with any of it. Zilt, nothing, zero, pilile, nothing. You were born in the 21st century in a developed nation and you had brilliant education, your parents had paid for it and the next thing you had a degree and a great job. You know who understood that was David. This is what David, the wealthiest man in Israel prayed. Listen to this incredible words. Lord, you are the greatest and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. What a revelation. Wealth and honor 
comes from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give to all. And now he comes, he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand anyway. And yet, we hold on to it as if we deserve it, as if we've worked for it, as if we've earned it, as if we chose when to be born and where to be born. Tim Keller said, Biblical justice is bringing people to see your stuff is not only your stuff. A rabbi said, a righteous person is someone who disadvantages himself for the good of others. A righteous person is someone who disadvantages himself for the good of others. Why does he say that? Because the righteous one showed us how to do it, right? So if we get that and we do it, we become righteous. Which then brings the conclusion that a wicked person thinks what he has is only for himself. It's hard words, isn't it? A wicked person is somebody that actually claims what has been entrusted to them as if it belongs to them only. So generous giving, it's a hallmark of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, if we want to see how close we or the church or wherever are to Jesus, Let's look at generous giving and see if we teach it right, if we live it right, if we understand what it actually means. Adoption was the second one. We know that adoption came from vertical before horizontal. I spoke to you about the, the, the community was ripped open so that you and I could be adopted in. Now, here it is. If we understand this, this will happen. Right? Right? John say it in 1 John 3, 16 to 18, doesn't he? He say, you want to know what love is? Love is that he laid his life down for us. Which means if we understand it, we will lay down our lives for each other. Psalm 89, God's throne is established on righteousness and justice. Love to the Lord your God of all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Vertical and horizontal and together it makes the cross. You take one away, do you still represent the cross? Jesus. Are you truly represent Jesus if you take one away? E either one. It is how adoption is how God brought us into his family. And listen to these beautiful words for you and me. With all the rights and privileges of Jesus, our elder brother. As a result, we could see the earthly practice of, of adoption as a wonderful, although imperfect, reflection of God's adoption of Christ. In Africa, we can't afford just to adopt one child at a time, although most of us have done that. We adopt communities. That's how bad it is. 
180,000 new orphans every month. Every month. Known by name. Not orphans. Throw that word out of the window. Sons of our Father, which means it's our brothers and sisters. If we are in the household, right? So when Christians visit orphans, why do we do that and why is it so important? Because Christ came to visit us first. And because He came to visit us, He came from so far to so low. It's just natural. It's just in our rib cages. Because His heart is pumping there. Because He did that, of course we'll do this. In 1 John 4, 19 it says, We visit because He visited first. Not because we are told you must look after orphans or you must do justice. I met Lafness in Zambia in a village called Nzimba. I wish I can take an hour to paint you the picture of Nzimba. But there I met Lafness, five years old, as I shared a story with me. Her grandmother had drunk it, used to tie her with a rope around the tree. Then her grandmother would go into the field to go and look for food, sometimes for three days. The child would be tied on a tree out in the open. We went into that village. We told him about adoption. We told him about Jesus. We told him about beautiful feet. We said to them, we are compelled to love. This village is totally off the ladder. Let's do something. I wish I could tell you what happened there. But one of the results when I went there last year, latter part of last year, I met Lafness at our feeding point. And there she was with two men, both drunkards who got saved through the work. What work? Visiting and loving and knowing people by name. And there the two men had her. They introduced her to me. They said, Loveness, this is George. And Loveness looks at me like that. She said, Papa George. It means Father George. I burst out in tears. But I never knew what was coming. They put her down on the ground. And one man, elderly man, went down. And he said, Loveness, let's do it today. Let's do it. Let's show Baba George. And she had this huge grin. And on each side of her stood two men. They held her hand. And then they left her hands. Five years old. There she was. And she took her first step ever in her life. Five years old. And she had this beaming laugh. Tied to a tree like a dog. Until the kingdom of God burst into that valley. And as he walks. And I tell you. Around that, around that feeding point. People were standing. Watching. Watching. 
all in their eyes their tongue stuck to their palates in their minds they know there's a God and he's alive we saw him today with laughness the girl tied to a tree took her first steps we adopted laughness that village is spending hundreds of hours of loveness. We love her out of that pain that she was in. Why? Because it's a commandment? Because we are scared of God? Because we want to earn some points? Or because it's overflowing in us? Because our dad has done it to us and we are now in his household and we're in the same business and we spend every second of every day we spend our times, our talents, our treasures to bring the goodness of Jesus that there's hope for the hopeless that's our Father's heart that's missions I had a volunteer from Canada who wrote me a letter very recently. She was with us for a year. Emily wrote this. She said, George, please pray for me. She came back to her hometown, home church. She said, I shared with my pastor. And I told him about what we did. I told him many stories. I showed him my favorite scriptures about God's heart. He listened to everything and then he said to me, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We don't do justice, we evangelize. Evangelize? I'm going to say something. Don't throw me off, Jesus. You don't evangelize. You are a discredit and embarrassment to my father. If you think you can just walk into people's lives, throw them a pamphlet, do you know you're going to go to Jesus or hell? You don't represent my father. My father said, I know your name. I'll walk to you. I'll love you. I'll serve you. He didn't sit in heaven and say to us, Do you know you're going to go to hell? He came all the way. All the way. All the way to the cross of shame. That's evangelism. Laying your life down. The rest is self-righteous stuff. Okay, last one. Compassion. Thanks for hanging in with me. That's a central theme of the Bible, and it's huge, and I wish we can take so much time. But it's everywhere. But you know, you can read the Gospels, new eyes, new eyes, new eyes. If you just start looking at the word compassion, Jesus, in Mark 8, He, he taught them for, for, for three days, and then He looked at the crowd, and suddenly He just stopped, and he, and he had compassion, and He said to His disciples, I've got compassion for these people. They haven't eaten. How much loaves do you? How many loaves do you have? And another occasion, exactly the same thing. Jesus was busy with the people, and suddenly he stopped. He said, "They are like sheep without a shepherd. I've got compassion." How many loaves do you have? Do you think he needs our loaves? You know what? We it takes us twenty dollars a month to look after a child. I, uh, let me not tell you about them. It takes us twenty dollars to look after a child, to give him food, education, and basic health. I'll be—I can say it for you. 
There's times that I go home and I weep. I don't weep because I couldn't find enough money to look after the children. I weep because of the hardness, the hardness of followers of Jesus that cannot comprehend that that is not good enough for our Father. You know, we started the policy in hands right from the beginning. We said to the children, you stop eating when we stop eating. That's a good policy, you know. When God stops feeding us, we'll stop giving you food. As long as we eat, you'll eat. The Good Samaritan. What is the difference between a Good Samaritan and a Levi and a priest? Only one thing. The Good Samaritan saw and he had compassion. Compassion is not for Mother Teresa. It's not. If you don't have compassion in your heart, I question your relationship with Jesus. I question it. I question mine if I don't have it. If you think compassion is for some old, I question that you've ever really met your father. You may have been emotional, you may have gone through stuff, you may have joined because you can get something. You've never met the father. If a father's heart is pumping in your ribcage and he renewed you, nobody has to teach you about justice. Justice is a natural outflow. In fact, the, the, the depths of understanding grace is directly connected to the heights of your justice. You want to know how much people understand about grace? Look at their lives and see the justice that they live. It's directly connected. Directly. And yet, it's like it's a veil come over our eyes. Why? Do we really understand the Father? So let me conclude. The poor have a treasure to offer precisely because they cannot return our favors. By not paying us back for what we do, they call us to an inner freedom, selflessness, generosity, and true care. Jesus said, when you have a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then you'll be blessed, for they have no means to repay you. But you will be repaid, Jesus said. That repayment that Jesus is talking about is the joy and peace, the being beloved of God, that deep down so we so desperately desire. You know, we are all pilgrims, exiles, from the Garden of Eden. We are looking for a place of rest. And people offer us different things, even prosperity. We're trying to fill that hole. It gets filled when we understand what justice is. But we will never get out of our middle class mindset and do anything for the poor until we catch God's heart for us. It's only when you and I catch God's heart to us that we will help the poor. And it will not be a, a two-month thing, but it will become a lifestyle. Overwhelming beauty gets you outside yourself. 
This is so, if you catch anything, please, I want to ask you, hear what I want to read to you. When Jesus said, if you love the poor, you love me, God identifies with the poor. Only Christians can tell you how far God went to identify with the poor. Jesus plunged himself into our lives. He took all we had and threw it to save us into our lives. We who deserved judgment received pardon. What he did for you, that will get you to do justice. The beauty of what he did. Now we can love him because of what he did. And that will change your heart forever. The most profound experience of grace leads to justice. In Micah 6 verse 8 we read, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. My, my prayer for you and for me, that our spiritual ears will open up. I will catch a rhema of our Father's heart. James 1.27 say, Pure religion is to visit the widows and orphans in their distress and not to get polluted by the things of the world. Friends, together with me, let that be encouragement and a stern warning. The things of the world will prevent us from visiting the widows and orphans. And that will prevent us from getting to our Father's heart. It must be a tragedy for your whole life to look for something and not to find it. But something that's worse than that is to find it and to actually not know that you ever found it. To have it in your hand and not to realize. May his heart beat in your ribcage. May his pulse be felt by you. May your head be on his chest. May you walk in a deep love of your father. And may that make you bear fruit. Everything you have are only tools to serve others. You're a pilgrim on the way to New Jerusalem. Man is a city waiting for us. He's coming. He's coming. Let us wait for that. That's where we will get rewarded. That's where we will experience prosperity and whatever goes with it. For now, for Christ, the hope of glory. Thank you. Thank you for joining us www.handsatwork.org